Nicholas, we're almost into August. The countdown is on. What is it? What we said all turkey season, the countdown to the fly down or what Cuz said. Now, what do we got to come up with something back in the racks or something? Countdown to the climb up. I don't know. <laughs> it's going to be a lot of fun. We're uh, we're looking forward to it. About six weeks out coming up on this Saturday till Georgia opener, and it's going to be a – it's going to be a good one, and I'm excited for the opportunity to get back in the tree. So. Oh, it's going to have to cool off a little bit, ain't it? Yeah, 90-degree days is going to make it hot here in Georgia for opening weekend for sure. So, But, hey, the extended archery season cleaning to the end of January, September the 10th till January 31st. It's a pretty long season. I'll probably be cut out by then. I might be trying to find something else to hunt. So. Y'all got a little trip planned up this weekend, don't you? We do. Yeah, Cody and I are headed up to Illinois to, to do some scouting on the public land and everything, the areas we hunt up there. and. We're going. We're going to run into some savory characters. It sounds like while we're there, the things we do for a deer in this temperature. Yeah, leave leave <laughs> Friday night and go up there, and it's going to be awesome. So, Cody, glad to have you back, buddy. It's glad to be back. Much a, much needed R and R I had. A <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You've been working so hard. We just hate it for you so yeah, bad. Get the cobwebs off this mic over here, but no, I'm glad to be back. We're glad to have you back, buddy. And uh, without further ado, I want to introduce this guy here and. If you're not familiar with who this guy is, I want you to, to place yourself in a situation where you'll do anything to get a big buck killed. Put yourself in precarious situations, climbing little willow trees that might be on the edge of a field, getting a ghillie suit and hide out on the edge of that field, sneaking around for hours on end. I mean, the guy's probably crawled across more fields than I'll ever walk across, but he's a hammer on the deer. He's a humble guy. And he's been doing this thing for a long time. And he's somebody that anyone who's in the hunting community can respect. And I'd like to welcome to talk about it outdoors, Jared Mills from Midwest Whitetail. Thank you, guys. I appreciate the opportunity to get on and chat with you guys. I've been looking forward to this. It's a, it'll be a fun conversation, I'm sure. Well, our mutual friend, Mr. Uh, Jeff over at Buck Fever Seed Company, set this up for me. And I talked to Jeff a lot over the last six, eight weeks. And he got me some suit, some seed down here. And uh, he's been he's been priming the pump so to speak for you to come on he said i cannot wait to hear this one and, and it was a uh, it was a great opportunity yeah. and i appreciate you taking the time to do it yeah for sure and jeff has had obviously all good things to say and just just a, a really good dude so it, it's been fun getting to know him over the past few months and getting to work with him a little bit well for anyone who doesn't know i guess i want to take it back you know to when you first came onto the scene and started getting into the hunting industry. And I, if I remember right, it was back in 2010 when you first kind of came crashing in as an intern and kind of take me through that journey of when you first got there. And then we'll kind of circle back on some of the, some of the older stuff. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, you know, like a lot of guys back in, so I was going to college in uh, St. Louis and playing baseball and I was away from home, so I didn't get to hunt much. So I spent some time, you know, spent my time watching hunting shows to kind of bridge the gap. And Middle Swightail was launched, Winky launched it in 2008, 2000, or in 2008. And I think I discovered it right around then, maybe 2009. 
Uh, but I was getting ready to graduate college and uh, just reached out to Bill, thought it'd be a cool opportunity to try to work with them. And I think I just sent him an email and said, Hey, Bill, you have any internship opportunities or anything like that? I would love to, you know, at least come, you know, see what you guys have and, and try to get my foot in the door and that type of stuff. And he responded and said he didn't really have anything, but thought maybe he could create something. He said, why don't you drive up here to Iowa and we'll have a conversation and see what we come up with. And so I, I drove up and um, spent a couple hours in his basement and we kind of created this little internship program, a first official, I guess, internship program. He had had some local kids working um, with them for a while, Drew Yarkoski, Chad Lathrop, some of those guys, Brett Frieden, some of those guys um, that live locally have been helping with the filming and the production and stuff like that. Um, but me and another guy named Alex, we were kind of the first official interns that summer of 2010. And a few minutes, a few months later, it turned into a full-time job, just filming him and, and doing some editing for the various shows under the middle. So I tell umbrella. So that's kind of how it all got started. That's when I first started editing and filming for Midwest Whitetail. And I am uh, going into my 12th year. It's just kind of crazy to look back on. I, I worked full time for Bill for about a year and a half, two years. And um, I was, you know, I, I was kind of looking for more. I had a, a decent resume from a bunch of college experiences and internships and stuff like that. And it wasn't necessarily geared towards media production and I, I wasn't I didn't really see the career path at the time you know I was still obviously very young and just trying to figure out what I wanted to do for a living and so I actually left Midwest Whitetail as a full-time employee in 2012 to work for Muddy Outdoors um, in, the, in the marketing and operations department um, but the key to kind of this whole full circle story is I continued to produce for Midwest Whitetail uh, on the side. So I would work my full-time job and come back to my apartment and edit for Bill as an independent contractor. And I continue to do that. You know, I, I worked for Muddy for about a year and a half, about that same time period. And kind of, I ended up leaving Muddy to get out of the hunting industry. You know, we, I'm sure we can all share and the same thought process of, of this being a passion. And, and when you start mixing with the job, it, it gets tough. Um, it, it changes things for you. And, you know, I was, it was at that time when there's a lot of different shows starting and, and being in the marketing department, I was always talking to people, um, fielding calls about people wanting sponsored and all that. And it, it kind of just, it, it kind of gave me a little bit of a bad taste in my mouth about the whole hunting industry, or at least working in it at that time. Um, so I decided, uh, and people don't realize you also, you know, when you're working for a hunting company, your busy time of year is in the fall. That's so right. it also makes it hard to get away and, and hunt and do what you love. So I decided to try just keeping hunting as a, a, a hobby and do something else for a full-time career. So I actually took a job in pharmaceutical sales and did that for about four and a half years. Um, but then, but again, I continued to produce for middle sweat till from my house. I would get home from my pharmaceutical job, produce medicine while I tell, you know, in the evenings. And uh, then after working that for a long time, I was on the flip side of where I was just talking about. I was tired of only having two weeks of vacation to hunt, you know, like a normal job. I needed more than that. And so I wanted to find a way to get back into in the industry somehow that allowed more time to hunt, uh, more flexibility to hunt, that type of stuff. So 2017, there's an opportunity to come back to Middle Swite Till. 
and uh, that's what happened. And we've kind of gone through some some changes <clears throat> over the past three, four years as a business. Um, we started our, our production company, 41 North Media, and we actually acquired Middles Whitetail this past fall. So our production company owns the Middles Whitetail brand now. So it's kind of funny, just a, a one big full circle from starting as an intern, getting back into it, and and now you know having a, a, a big role in this. And you know, I, I work currently work with a really good group of guys on the 41 North side and Middle Swatel side. And we have five full-time guys, including myself, and then a, a really good class of interns. And uh, that's what makes it fun. I mean, a, a bunch of guys that are hungry, that bunch of guys that go about things the right way. Um, I, I think Middle Swatel is in a really good position. So it, it's definitely an exciting time uh, as far as our business goes. I can only imagine what it was like going from a college student because we graduated in 05 right there, right before you and, and coming into college and then getting to sit down with, with Bill at that opportunity, being a deer hunter and coming up. I mean, that had to be a surreal moment for you. Yeah, it was, it was cool. I mean, it, uh, I'm sure it's just like a, a lot of guys, you watch it and it, it seems, it definitely seems different on the outside than once you actually see what's about. I mean, Bill's about as down to earth as, as they get. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a pretty cool experience going from just watching the show, being a fan of the show to being thrown into the mix and being very involved in the production of it. And, um, middle Switel has produced some really talented guys over the years. It's been really cool to see that. And it continues to do so. Um, you look at some of the past classes of interns and employees that have gone on to do some pretty cool things in the industry. And we still have that. We still have a really good internship program. So Bill created a, a pretty cool thing and um, it was fun to, to grow along with it uh, over the past decade or so. Do you, did you always know that you were going to get into that line of work before you even went into college? No, I, uh, to be honest with you, when, uh, when, when I sat down with Bill, I barely knew how to turn a camera on. I didn't, I had no idea what a video editing program looked like. You know, it, it, it was just one of those things. I think Bill hired me more just on the experience and, you know, just as someone that he saw could get it done and, and had the ability to learn it quick. Um, but no, I mean, I never thought that I would in, be involved in, you know, digital media. I went to school for sport business management. So um, a little bit, I, I envision working for, you know, a professional baseball team or something like that in, in the sports industry, but, um, definitely not this, but it, it's, uh, it worked out. Okay. But, but your passion for hunting goes back further than that though. Correct. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Let's, um, let's, let's rewind all the way back to where that started at. Yeah. So I, I grew up in a, an outdoors family, my, my dad and grandpa, um, we're not so big into hunting. They did it a little bit, but they were really big into trapping. And so I, at the, at a young age, I got to tag along with them. And really that's, that was my first real outdoor experience. Kind of got me hooked, you know, getting up in the mornings, running trap lines with them, checking traps. And, you know, of course we did the fishing and everything, a little bit of hunting, but not much, you know, my experience from a bow hunting standpoint, I was, I kind of taught myself bow hunting and it was really cool because I kind of got to do it the opposite way. I got to, had the chance to get my dad into bow hunting and be with him when he killed his first deer with a bow. Um, so that was, that was really fun, but you know, I turkey hunting and stuff like that with my grandpa, that's, that's really what originally got me hooked. And then I, you know, I took it a step further with the bow hunting side of things so 
it's it's always been a part of me. It's just kind of geared more towards whitetail as as time has passed. You remi- you remind me of a of a very hardcore turkey hunter the way you chase those deer on the ground. Yeah, you almost yeah. hunt you almost hunt deer like you hunt turkeys. That's true. That's true. <laughs> I don't get too fired up about turkeys, and maybe it's because I'm so fired up about deer. I enjoy turkey hunting, but I enjoy I one I enjoy taking turkey hunting more than I enjoy hunting myself. But two, when I do hunt, I I enjoy trying to find ways to just make it you know really challenging, just trying new things on the turkey side. Um, but yeah, I've, I've had people tell me that before. I've had tell people tell me that, uh, like that's, I've went elk hunting three years ago and I brought that style of hunting back with me to the whitetail world. So yeah, it's been fun trying new things. It's a, it's been, uh, cool to watch. I mean, from, you gotta, you gotta think about the guys that you're talking to here. We're, we're from the South and I mean, we grew up sitting in yeah. deer stands, you know, and sweating in the heat till November and spending our time chasing deer that we would never have a dream to see in a deer like what's behind you. And fortunately we've been able to go to the Midwest and hunt in Illinois and Iowa and in Kansas, cool. Kentucky, all over the Midwest. And it's been an opportunity that's opened our eyes to what's really out there. And then it's expounded upon it. Nick's traveled out West Turkey hunting now and spent time out of state for a guy that's coming and hunting, or let's, let's say this. If you're hunting just the Midwest for your entire career and you try to go to the south to hunt and i don't know that you have have you seen guys come from the south and do really well in the midwest or is it kind of a revert back the other way they don't do as well and you've seen enough interns to know yeah so thanks for your first part like i i don't have much experience out in the south at all i mean i hunted kentucky last year and killed a, a good buck there but that's about the extent of it so i can't really speak from that side but for sure guys have come from the South and done really well in the Midwest. Um, the Midwest is, uh, it's different, you know, everything's relative and I try to try to be an advocate for that. You know, I don't, I don't think someone from the South should ever compare their hunting to the Midwest or try to, um, imitate how a guy hunts in the Midwest. It's just different. And, And you just have to understand that everything's a little bit relative from the style of the hunting, the size of the deer, the age of the deer, all that type of stuff. Um, but there's no doubt we're very fortunate to live where we do in in such a good whitetail hunting state. But, um, yeah, to answer your question, some, we've had interns from all across the country and they've all come here and done really well. It's, it's always fun to watch them on their first few weeks. They usually start in the summer, you know, around that summer velvet time where big deer are very visible out in fields and they're just, their minds are blown all the time. It's just, they, they can't believe what Iowa is. And of course it's, it's better at that time of year than it is. And it gets a lot tougher in the fall. Um, but yeah, they, all our interns have done really well. You know, a lot of them end up hunting public land and I'd put the public land in Iowa up against any public land in the country. I mean, it's, it's incredible. And I, I would argue it's better than a good majority of the private land in Iowa, just from the standpoint of bigger parcels, not very much pressure. A lot of the private land is a lot smaller parcels and that equals more pressure. So, um, certain times of the year, the public land in Iowa is phenomenal. And so our guys have done really well on public, you know, the interns that come in don't have a place to hunt. That's naturally where they end up hunting and 
our interns have killed some some really good deer over the years for sure yeah and you can see some of that stuff over on y'all's youtube channel the the interns have taken and been able to film and take some amazing animals while they're up there yep. hunting and yeah i guess it's always interesting to me to watch those guys you know start out on the intern program and see them grow into to being bigger and you know, you made mention before we got started on the show that the, the hunting public guys had worked with you. And I mean, it, those guys are, they're incredible. And what they've been able to do with their audience has been, I think it's been really good for the hunting community because it's opened the doors for guys that may not have the opportunity to buy a lease in Illinois or Iowa or wherever to take that mm-hmm. chance and know you got to work for it and there's going to be pressure around you but you can do it. And then they came down here to Georgia and smoked one right above our house here. I mean, we're, really? we're yeah, I mean, that, that property they're hunting right was, I mean, it's less than 30 minutes. We've been on that ground, and it's like, man, they came up here, and they did an awesome job with it. I mean, and a lot of, I think a lot of people look at it as a kind of a negative pressure. I think it's a positive thing because it's getting guys out and making them, making them earn it. You better put your boots on the ground because you're going to have to. Yeah, those guys have done a really good job. Um, I think, I think they've really embraced what I was just talking about as far as, you know, being relative to your area and understanding the caliber of bucks that's realistic for your area. And they've embraced that. They haven't, they haven't worried too much about killing the oldest age class deer, the biggest deer. They've just been very much trying to have fun and enjoy hunting and and really portray that in their video. So those guys have done a really good job and obviously have enjoyed a, a good amount of success with their business too. Do you see yourself now that you're so dived off into the hunting industry as more balanced than you were in the beginning as a hunter? And the reason I ask this is you're not looking at this just as your job now. You're looking at it as a passion mixed with a job. And how do you mix those two together now, or how do you make it cohesive to where it's not just going? You you don't get up and go to work every day and dread it, I assume, like a lot of people do. Yeah, it's it's something that I don't have figured out to be honest with you. I, I mean, I wish it was easier, but it's it's something I struggle with all the time because, you know, even uh, people probably think I hunt for a living, but that's obviously not the case. We you know produce so many shows and we there's so much correspondence and just running a business. I mean, it, every it's like running any other business. There's a lot that goes into it that people don't see. And uh, it's something I struggle with all the time because it is the hunting has become a job. And, and I say that not from the standpoint of not enjoying hunting anymore, but there's so much more to it. You have to think about you have to be on all the time, you know, the interviews, you have to think about what what types of things do you need to show to make sure the viewer understands the situation or has all the details. And so it's it's just different than just going out there and enjoying the woods, your time in the woods. So it's something I struggle with. And then you know, the workload on top of everything we do is also tough. Like even today, I, you know, I was out planting food plots, getting that stuff done. And that's all a big part of what we do. But being away from the office for six, seven hours is tough. I mean, the phone's ringing, email's coming in, all that type of stuff. So the balance, you, you, you bring that up, it's hard. I, I don't have a great answer for that. I wish, I, I hope someday I will have it figured out, <laughs> but uh, it, it's tough. I mean, it, I think it's something that uh, most guys experience. It, my position isn't different than someone outside of the industry necessarily as far as that goes, you know, just the, the workload and then, you know, trying to enjoy your time out in the woods 
without worrying about all the other things you should be doing or could be doing. Um, you know, I experience the same exact thing on a daily basis. And I, I think I asked that question because I want people to that watch a 15 or 20 minute video of you to understand that you're, you're enjoying those moments for what they are, but you're living right. a realistic life just like we all are. And you, you're not, you're not just going to the woods every single chance you get. You've got to work just like everyone does yeah. and support your family. And I want people to understand that because we've had amazing guests on but before that have said the same thing. You know, it's it's a grind. And anyone who's tried to film and do the things that you guys are doing, buddy, let yeah. me tell you, I have the utmost respect for you because we've, we've, we're delving off into a little bit of that now. And it's it's constant pressure. Like, am I doing this the right way? And you you learn so much from it, I think, that you look back on. And I can only imagine over the last uh, 11 years what you've been fortunate enough to learn in that. Yeah, and it's probably something we don't talk about enough, to be honest. You know, I think that the perception is a lot different than the reality of what our, our jobs are. Um, but And I don't want to make it sound terrible. I have a great job, obviously. But there there's definitely a lot more to it than what most people see on the finished polished episodes on average <clears throat> jared what's it take to uh, put a 30 minute episode together how many hours of footage and hours put into that um <clears throat> you know the, the unique thing about the way we do things is we do everything on such a semi-live basis and so throughout the season it's an absolute grind especially november when we're hunting morning and evening you know our guys work their tails off and, and earn everything that they get. Um, the very little sleep happens during the fall because of our production schedule. So, you know, we're, we're out filming our hunt during the day or evening and our pr producers, interns, whoever that is, they don't go to bed until that video is done from that day. And so that's, that's where the grind comes in. You know, maybe it's not the, it doesn't take hours and hours and hours, but it's the five hours in the middle of the night that makes it difficult. And that, that style is always done really well for middle white tail viewers love that instant information, you know, that it hooks them with regards to our stories. They want to know what happened the next day or the next day. Um, so the formula works. It's just, <clears throat> you don't see many people doing it just because it's such a grind. It's so hard and demanding for, for guys to, to pull off. And our interns get, the full experience when it comes to that um but they they come out the backside in december january a lot stronger having an appreciation of the work ethic and uh that's really cool too about our internship program i talk about this a lot but you know companies are starting to realize or have realized for a while uh the workload that our internship brings and the experience that it gets these guys so every year around that january time frame i have companies throughout the industry reaching out to me want to know hey you know how the internship class do this year do you have any that you're not going to hire that you think would be a good fit to work with our company and so we've kind of created that reputation and, and it all stems from understanding how much work it takes to get through our internship program and, and the knowledge those guys get and the experience and it's not just production experience like i said it's all the skills that go with uh, you know working late hours the time management the organizational skills the just the the peer effort the work ethic um it's all it's a very well-rounded experience for for the guys that can get through it and i think that's a reason you see so many 
past Midwest Whitetail interns doing big things in the industry. Are most of your interns coming straight out of college, or are you guys just are you guys just hiring people that are not in college? Because the reason I ask that is is we had Jordan Summon on here a while back, and he was talking about nowadays with the phones and capability of people to be able to get the apps on their phones to um, edit their own videos that the college is kind of taken away from a lot of the experience that he had in college to learn to produce all those videos. Yeah, that could be a part of it. As far as where we get, I mean, most of ours are our ideal candidate is a recent college grad because we can hire them right away. Um, but we have some that are still in college that go, that just take the semester off and then go finish schooling when they're done. We have some that are older, you know, mid to upper twenties that have already started another career, but are realizing that, you know, they want to at least give this a go before it's too late. You know, they want to try to make a career out of this. So we have a little bit of a gamut there, but I would say, 75%, 80% of our interns are right out of college. And I would say 100% of those are already driven in the out, outdoor world as far as hunting whitetails and stuff. Yeah, pretty much all of them are ate up with the hunting side yeah, of it. Yeah. You know, and the, the the production experience varies. Some some guys come in here with with pretty solid experience, but more than anything, I don't necessarily look for that when hiring these guys. I really look for the mentality um, the attitude, those things that are harder to teach. I can teach anyone how to edit or how to film, right. but they have to, they have to be the right person to, um, they have to be teachable, I guess. Have you had a one-off that you converted into a, <laughs> yeah, a big time whitetail hunter? That wasn't before. Yeah. I don't think so. Yeah. <laughs> I think, I think everyone that applies for our internship at least has a decent passion yeah. there. That'd be an interesting thing to try, though. Take a guy that's not, you know, passionate. Hey, uh, yeah, I know. I mean, I, I know some companies in the industry that don't hire hunters. They hire outside production guys, guys that are just production-oriented. And, you know, I think there's some some good reason for that in, in terms of just trying a different eye when it comes to creativity and, and not just seeing the same type of hunting production. Um, but I, I think those guys are probably hard to find and they're probably less likely to make it through because you have to enjoy whitetail hunting if you're going to get through the grind of our internship for sure or our job. Otherwise, you're just not you're going to hate getting up at you know three and going to bed at 1 a.m. because you spend so much time in the woods. Oh, I've watched those interns or camera guys follow you around. I'd hate to be one of them. <laughs> I guarantee you put them through the grind, man, the, the yeah. stuff that they go through. But I, I would almost venture to say that somebody that spends time in your internship, whether they get a job in the industry or not, they're going to come out of it a better hunter just by seeing what goes on. Yeah, that's definitely part of the learning experience. You know, Most of these guys love hunting but haven't experienced it at this level um but i would say that's that's secondary but it's for sure something they they learn and gain skills in what do you what do you get most out of that internship jared i mean take me personally yeah i truly enjoy the opportunity to help guys you know me for the, for the most part this is a dream job or dream opportunity for these they're moving from all across the country you know, sometimes dropping their current jobs for very little pay to come here. Um, I, and I, I truly enjoy 
for those guys that come here and work their tail off, I enjoy the opportunity to try to help them land somewhere in the industry to, to be able to set up their dream career. Um, so I'd say that's what I get most out of it. And it's like, like I said, it's cool to have to be at the point where companies are reaching out, knowing that we have a good internship program and that, that just, that leads to a better application application or applicant class each year obviously but it also leads to more opportunity for these guys and, and that's pretty cool it's, i mean it's cool to see somebody taking such a passion because i think the neatest thing for me is, is and we've talked about this on the last few episodes because we've had a lot of guys on around our age demographic you take the guys that came before that were very driven in building a brand they wanted to make their brand the, the best it was. And you take the, the Bill Jordans or uh, in Realtree or whoever you talk about in the as icons, they were very self-driven. Now, they brought a lot of people with them, and I don't mean right. that in a bad way, but it right. seems like everyone that's involved in the outdoors from an age demographic, from that 30 to 40-year-old range, you want to make it better than it was before, but you want to leave it better than you had it. And it's it's very neat to see, you know, like what Jordan talked about, he's training guys at, at, down at Buck Commander to do great things, and, and you guys at Midwest Flottail are turning out guys. And it's almost a placement. You know, you get an it opportunity yeah. to go hunt with these guys, and it's a it's a segue in. But for anybody that's listening to this, don't think it's just all sunshine and rainbows at all times. I mean, you're going to be cold, wet, and tired a lot of the year. So be yeah. sure if you're that's something you want to do, you better be ready for it. It's Crawling a, through snow in cornfields. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Following, right. laying in brush piles so. following the turkey hunter well so let's let's go into a little bit of that and you know you, the way that your your mindset works jared with the way that you hunt and tell me do you just come up with these crazy ways of, of doing things in your sleep do you just wake up in the middle of the night or is it a strategic plan that you put together hey i got to get this deer killed he's over here and you just yeah. you just come at it on a whim and make it happen yeah, I haven't done anything just to do it, I guess. It, it, it's all been very strategic. It's all been – sometimes the deer and the property just forces my hand into trying something new or, or just kind of off the wall. You know, you can't hunt the traditional way. So that's usually what drives it. I will say, though, like I'm motivated by the challenge. You know, I we're in a – position with today's technology and then i'm and personally in a position where you start to garner more resources you start to you start to figure things out a little bit you start to you know have more access to equipment and and that type of stuff and i'm almost to the point where i want to find ways to not i don't want to say not make it easy but i, I don't want it to get easier you know, it's, it's, it's still very, very challenging, but I want to make sure that always stays there because that's what motivates me is the challenge. And so if it means trying something new, it like, you know, if it means you know, I've been working with my recurve a bunch, if it means hunting with the recurve exclusively to, to up that challenge, I'm going to do that. So that's, that's uh, probably the second motivation to just try and do things is because I truly enjoy the challenge. I, you know, I don't love it when it happens when I fail, but when I look back, I love that I fail a lot um, because it makes everything that much sweeter. And that's what, as a bow hunter, everyone hunts for different reasons, right? Um, and that's a really good thing for our industry. But for me personally, I just love the challenge of it. That's really what drives me. So continuing to find ways to do things a little bit different uh, is something I'll probably continue to do. 
So you're saying we could see that recurve on a, a future episode of Midwest Whitetail? That's a hope. I, I I haven't officially put it on the goal list this year, but my goal would be to, to kill a whitetail this year with it. Man, I can't wait to watch that one come. And there's a lot of guys trying recurve again. They're they're kind of it's came back into play, and I think that challenge aspect of it's you know it's hey yeah <laughs> all for it. I've had mine for a few years. I've had mine for a few years, and um, I have not taken it out whitetail hunting. And the reason being is I always end up busy this time of year in the summer. And I don't want to take it out there until I'm fully confident and, and have the the time to do the practice justice. You know, I want to be able to get really good with it and, and be confident with it before I take it into the whitetail woods. I did kill a turkey with it uh, last spring, um, but have not killed a whitetail, but that's on the hopefully the to-do list this fall you know a lot of people probably watch your videos and think man why is he getting down and why is he trying to chase that deer or why is he trying to get in that brush pile and but man, if you ever go in the midwest you have to and i know we've said that on earlier episodes you and here in georgia man it, it's really hard to pattern a deer unless you have a pinch point to put him down in and put some cameras on him but if you need to take a portable stand in georgia man you can hang it in any tree you want to and, and, you know, now that I think the saddles are getting so big and all these stands are getting so light with all these um, climbing sticks, I think over the next few years you're going to see a lot of big deer hitting the ground, how much people can get on them. And, you know, I don't know how many people is going to kill big deer on the ground like you, but, I mean, I, that's got to be yeah. that's got to be a challenge in itself to, to shoot one off the ground. But <clears throat> I don't There's know. a lot of luck involved too, obviously. But, I, yeah, I agree. I mean, it's – again i think the number one reason you see me trying different things is because i'm being forced to by right. the property i hunt or where the deer a particular deer you know I, I enjoy chasing individual deer and so i if you came to my properties there's not very many preset stands i'm always being mobile i'm always hanging and hunting um, and that's because every single a specific deer doesn't live in the same exact spot that the last year i was chasing did you know, they, they use different core areas. And so the hang stands just in the best spots is a good option. If you're trying to give yourself the best chance at killing a mature buck or, you know, killing a deer, but to go after a specific buck, you have to hunt differently. You have to, you have to be where he is. And every, every buck is different in terms of where they core up. And and my properties are different too. I mean, the last couple of years, I've all obviously focused a lot on deer that were living in real open terrain, very little trees to hunt. Uh, but I also have properties that are really similar to probably your guys set up a bunch of pine trees. Um, you can't, there's, you could pick any tree you wanted to put a stand in, but the problem is you can't see very far. There's no visibility. So it's kind of, I have both ends of the spectrum, t- uh, as far as where I hunt. I got a, I got a t-shirt from Midwest <laughs> Whitetails and it's going to be the mobile assassin Jared Mills shirt. It's going to have a guy running all the way around it. It's going to have him in placements all the way around the shirt. When they ask why you made that shirt, you tell them, you never know where I'm going to be on there. You're all over the place, man. And, and that's the cool thing about the way he hunts. We've had some guys on here in past that have talked about if you're not making it happen here, get your butt down and move. Make that mobile set and make something happen on him. And I think that speaks for us pretty well because of the way we go to the Midwest, we only got five days to make it happen in most cases, sometimes six. You know, we get to go out of state and hunt. If I'm sitting yeah. in one tree and waiting on it, 
good chance that deer is going to be moving down that same trail I saw him at 100 yards and I can't get on him with my bow. And the opportunity to get down and go and learn the way that he does it, play the wind, find the pinch point, you know, get to where you need to get to cut that deer off. You can learn a lot from Midwest Whitetails and what Jared's doing in that aspect. If you're a new hunter going to the Midwest, it feels good because you're sitting in that tree. You're like, man, there comes a big buck down the side of that cornfield. And it looks good. And it's yep. cool because you're seeing it. But that buck's never going to come over there if you don't make a move on him. That's, right. that's yeah. Georgia mindset. That's right Georgia there. mindset. And that's yeah. the way I was. And yeah. I, yeah, I, I mean, it took well, me. I, don't know. I was bouncing around <laughs> like a rabbit. I First year I was in Illinois, I was, hey, I got to move over here. Hey, I got to move over there. But I was running from the deer because I saw deer on one side and I didn't play it smart. And I got – I got impatient, yeah. and I'm bad to do that. So it's kind of a catch twenty two. You got to be real careful. Yeah, for sure. And the, the other really powerful thing about hanging and hunting that maybe guys think about or maybe they don't, but I'm a big believer in your odds are so much higher on the first time in a tree. And so even if you're only making minute adjustments, thirty yards, fifty yards, seventy yards, um, it's still a new tree, and it's still a spot where a deer or the deer you're hunting hasn't encountered a hunter before. So your, your chances are so much higher if you're able to do that. And obviously, you know, I'm sure we're talking to some people that are still new. There's still, there's a lot that goes along with hanging and hunting. It's, it, it does add a lot. It's, it's, you have to be very careful if you're constantly hanging stands and stuff like that. Uh, but there's no doubt that it's a very effective tactic to, especially to kill mature deer. Yeah, and I think a lot of that goes into your your preseason practice. And I, I used to be as guilty as anyone when deer season was coming up. The end of August, I'm dragging stands out. I'm looking at them. You know, I'm throwing them on the back of the four-wheeler and might go hang them, get a bow out and, and, you know, and practice for a few weeks. And over the last probably 10, 15 years, we've found ourselves getting those bows out earlier in the year, getting those stands out, hanging them in the yard, and especially with the advancements in the climbing sticks and the mobile setups. We don't hunt out of saddles, but a lot of guys that we talk to do. And you've got to be proficient. If you're clumsy and clunky and making a lot of noise when you're moving around, you ain't gonna, you're not going to help yourself. You just better off stay in one spot. And I think yep. it's about getting that proficiency down and making yourself more adequate to get that deer, that deer killed. I think you'll be better off. Yeah, and just being comfortable with the whole process of taking a stand down, setting it up, whether it be in the dark or, or whatever. I mean, it's, the more comfortable you are and more confident you are doing it, the more likely you are to make that right move instead of wait there and hope that he eventually comes by your stand. Well, we all know deer hunting's, you know, it's it's ninety five percent luck anyway and be in the right spot at the right time. But that five percent, if you don't practice for it, you're yep. cutting yourself short. And <clears throat> and you can you can watch Jared do all this stuff that he's doing on his YouTube page and it's it, the way you explain things to people in your blogs and in the early post of, of what you're going through now and that live data week to week to week. When do you guys generally start that, and, and have you seen it kind of get kicked back? Do you do you do it at the end of July, or, or is it kind of moved around a little bit? We've had some go up already. Um, we've been doing a few this summer, uh, but that will really start ramping up probably, um, I would say, within the next month, maybe a little more than a month. You know, Usually when guys start to find their deer back or start to develop a little bit of a hit list is usually when some of that daily content 
starts ramping up. When you start to, when you're able to start stories with deer, that's really what makes that that blog channel really attractive. Is you can start to follow the stories right from the beginning. When they find the deer back, you finally show back up on camera. Here's how I plan to kill him. Hang this stand for him and follow it all the way through. You know, so that's that's really the the core of the daily blog channels to follow that story so as soon as it gets started late in the summer that's when we really ramp up the content do you see more success on the production side when you're doing those shorter uh blog posts or when you drop a like a big video you know when you the ghillie suit buck of course has probably been one of your biggest posts i mean everybody's seen that but in today's society the way the quick attention, you got to have something really fast that catches their attention. Mm-hmm. Do you see that as, as more geared towards your daily stuff and what you want to do? Yes, I, I do think there's a place for both. I mean, I think some people, <clears throat> you know, there's a niche. It's probably bigger than a niche, but there's a, a good loyal following uh, in the Midwest Whitetail community of guys that love that daily information. They follow the story the entire way. They make time in their day whether they're at work or wherever at home, they make time in their day to catch up on those middle white cell stories. And uh, so there's that audience, but there's also the audience that, you know, maybe for whatever reason, you know, hops in once a week or once every other week. And they want, they want to know the whole story. So that's where those longer form videos come in where we can tell a story in a 20, 30 minute video. And that's all they need to catch up on all the action uh, where there's the other following that wants it on a daily daily basis i think there's a a place for both and we see that in terms of you know the viewer and viewer interaction the 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 number of views we get on the videos is uh both both pieces are important uh part of our formula yeah and you've got one of the longest videos that dropped on uh on monster bucks this time i was watching through them all and it was four minutes five minutes four minutes five minutes and it gets to the episode from midwest whitetails and it was like an eight and a half minute video and i'm like really these guys tell the story just i mean and i think that's the key thing you haven't changed that style from from what bill done for so many years and you've producing that stuff y'all told the full story in a concept yeah whether it was successful or not. I mean, you've posted a lot of videos on YouTube where you were unsuccessful. And I think those learning moments were what draw people back to, to, to watch your stuff. Yeah. That's really what we are about and want to stay about is the storytelling. You know, I've always thought, and we've always talked about internally, the things that start that keep middle slight tail what it is and set it apart from everything else is the, the storytelling and the education and and also along with that trying to do it in the highest quality possible you know there's then there's nothing against the guys that are doing it in more of a raw style that can be fun to watch too the gopros the the self-filming that type of stuff but we really love trying to get everything at, at the highest quality level we can it's it's more difficult sure than just taking the camera and turn it on um but we we personally believe it's a more enjoyable product to watch when the audio is clean, the video is clean, all the little B-roll pieces are there. Um, so that's really what we pride ourselves in, the best quality, and then the, the storytelling and the education. Um, so that's whatever we can do to accomplish that, uh, we're going to make it happen. But, yeah, it's, it's cool to hear you talk about the Monster Bucks. I hadn't, hadn't seen it yet, and I was, I was wondering what they are going to do with, I don't know how long our video was on Middle Slide Tale, 30, 40-plus minutes, you know. 
Who was um, that? What was his name that that killed that deer on that made the monster bucks? Um, it was. Uh, I think I think there's three or four of our hunts on monster bucks this year. That's what I was told. Anyways, I haven't I haven't. Had I know time there's to watch one that yet, was but. really really good, and it was uh it was I I don't know the gentleman's name, and I apologize for that, but it was uh it was a great episode that came in, and it was it was longer than any of them, and it's you still get the story in there of it. And yeah, the, it might have been uh, Lee Abraham. He killed the, the big 204 deer. That was I think it. Josh's Josh's uh, big Iowa velvet buck was on Monster Bucks too. Yep. Um, yeah, I, I want to say there's four or five of our hunts from last year that were on it. Just because you know, we work closely with the guys at Realtree um, with a number of different productions. So um, I'll have to find time to, to watch what they did with them. Through the uh, through the course of your time in the in the outdoor industry, who's been that one person that kind of took your breath away when you got a chance to talk to him? I mean, does one stand out? Hmm. I know you've met so many. That's probably a hard question, but is there a guy that you know maybe you idolized growing up, or I won't say idolized, but uh, um, tried to mimic his hunting style that you were able to meet? That's a tough question. I don't know. <laughs> I figured yeah, I've um, asked that before and it's always a tough one. You know, I, I, I've made some really good friends in the industry. I've met some, some really good people and I don't think I can name someone in specific, but I really gravitate. Uh, the ones that I talk to most often now I stay in touch with on a regular basis. are the guys that are, just very level-headed you know there's there's some guys in this industry that have got to experience some unbelievable things and have you know done some incredible things and more or less celebrities but they you wouldn't know it if you didn't know previously you know hanging out with them getting to interact with them those are probably those are my favorite guys that i've had the chance to meet in the industry is the guys that you know that could be the guy down the street for all you know it's just that kind of low-key mentality very level-headed and i i have a real appreciation for that um those type of guys that can experience success like that but stay humble and and stay level-headed so um i I can't think of one in specific but those are probably the type of guys that have become my closest friends in the industry i guess yeah we ask that question a lot most people say jared mills but we didn't (laughs) well i can tell you i see why you like those type of people because they're just like he is they're very very humble and very you know Uh, just laid just just laid to the grindstone man you have got that tone about you and i bet you was a hell of a baseball player with that with that calm demeanor Uh, i appreciate it i mean there's there's guys in the industry that could uh hunt circles around me i'm sure and there's guys that have experienced a lot more success than me but i do appreciate that it's uh it's always good to to interact with people and hear that and um you know that's i'm just uh, i'm just a guy that loves hunting i mean that's really all it comes down to so it's it, it's cool to have so many opportunities come out of this you know so many people watch the hunt and 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 reach out and tell me what how much they've learned from me and stuff like that that's really cool um, but you know, at the end of the day, I just really enjoy being out there. It's, it's just the same as, you know, both of you guys, all three of you guys and, and anyone else that, that does this. Well, Alex, Alex had told me Jared about you and, and I went on and started watching you hunt on YouTube and stuff because I'm not, I don't get on YouTube or anything like that and watch hunts much, but man, last night I watched 
two episodes. I shouldn't have done this, but I watched two on the way to work today <laughs> in my truck. Then I watched three when I got home before we done this. So I've uh, we, I've got we like want that addiction. Yeah, I, I I just how I love how you deliver yourself on there and just you. I mean, you get excited in your own way. Yeah, you've definitely got that about you. I'm glad you can see that because I <laughs> I I get heckled all the time about not showing enough emotion. Well, I, I mean it internally i feel like i'm going crazy but i guess on the outside it looks like I, i'm not enjoying it or something because i get i get razzed all the time but i, I really I enjoy it as everyone else i think one of the first videos i watched of you i guess you were kind of giving tips on filming and self-filming and i think one of the things you said was turn the turn the camera back around to yourself to get that raw emotion <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. and that's you know ironic yeah it was yeah, it yeah, was but uh I enjoyed that. That was that was good. Well, you talk yeah, about filming and production and stuff, and you talk about the Gilly Buck episode, and there was one time when the cameraman stayed in that blind, and he got down and went and tried to cut the deer off, and, you know, we wouldn't have saw that deer ended up coming within, what, 20 yards of that uh, of that blind they were in, and uh, you wouldn't have been able to see that if he would have been self-filming or something like that. So being able to right. see the full story is awesome. I got a question for you on one of those episodes. You shot a humongous buck right underneath your stand. It come in. I, I don't remember which one it was, so forgive me. But he comes right in. I mean, I think you said he was 12 steps from the bottom of the tree. You recall that one? Uh, I think it may have been in 2018. No, uh-huh. it wouldn't have been 18. The The two that I think it potentially could be would, would be – well, one in 2012 and then one in 2016. Okay, it may have been 16. Okay. Did yeah. you, when like, you, it was like six yards or something. Yeah, when you're, when, you're shooting a, when you're shooting straight down like that, what pin are you focusing on, Jared? I was using my top pin. I mean, that the, the nice thing about that deer, he was really close, but he was a little bit on it of an incline. So it wasn't as steep of an angle as, you know, if, if the ground was flat right there. So he was super close, but it, you know, he was, the angle wasn't as steep as what a deer normally would be at five steps. And yeah. people might think I'm crazy for asking that, but no, I've always no. heard you use a lower pin if they're really close under you. I, I don't know why, but I've, I've heard that from certain people. I always try to aim for the leg yeah. on the opposite side. If I'm, if they're right directly underneath me, I try to think of that arrow where it's going to exit. So I put my pin, I may aim a little lower because I'm bad to, to bring my elbow up. And a lot of times, I think when you should you practice, you should bend your hips more to get that angle where you're not changing the trajectory that much, and just aim through the deer. Don't don't try to shoot that spot. Think yeah. about where that extra air is going to exit because that's I mean, a hard shot. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've, dude, I've never I, well, had I know it. Exactly what he, I mean. Dude, I would I would use my top pin, but I've heard people say use lower ones. So. See, I would probably use my top pin and aim it like belly, like at yeah. that close yeah. like six six yards or whatever if you got a 20 yard pin personally i don't yeah. know yeah it's hard to practice that shot <laughs> yeah I, I i try not to think too much <laughs> i'm probably not the greatest teacher when it comes to that because i'm sure there's a, a lot better uh you know reasoning and process but i i just try not to think too much about it and and i i I don't put myself in position or I just don't, I'm sure I lose opportunities on bucks at times that other guys would get shots off at least, or maybe kill. Uh, but I just, I try not to take risky shots at deer. You know, I would rather the deer walk and get after him tomorrow. 
um, than potentially wound him. So I try as best as I can, obviously it, it'll, it'll happen, but as best as I can, I try to just put myself in when I release an arrow, I, I feel pretty confident in that shot. I'll tell you the, the one episode that, that made me, you didn't kill the deer, but it made me respect you so much was when you, I, I think one of your neighbors had actually taken a deer, a, a giant that you had been hunting and you drove yep. over to that and, and saw the deer and you're, your demeanor when you were talking to him was it was so respectful and you were so excited for that opportunity to you know see somebody else connect on it and i'm sure inside you're eating up as much time as you had invested into it but the way you delivered yourself there it, it should be a staple of of what people should do and be happy for people just you were in that moment and you were happy for for that guy and, and i don't know that you even mentioned his name on there but uh, it was it was very yeah. cool to see how humble you were in that approach to that one. Well, I appreciate it. And the thing about that is you always have to remember that, uh, there's guys out there doing it at the same level as you are. And that was the case with that one as he, he lived a long ways away from that hunting property. And so he was, he was traveling long ways, you know, taking time off work, being away from family and, and going as hard after this deer as I was. So that's just, that's just a respect thing. Like you just got to respect a guy that's able to get it done, doing it that way. Uh, the same way you're out there trying to do it. Um, so that was kind of what that one came down to. And I went out and took, you know, he and I have known each other for a long time and he knows I'm involved in all the filming and everything. And, you know, so I took pictures of a, of, of the deer form and and all that so it was it, it wasn't a uh a situation where he hadn't earned the the deer he had earned it just as much as if i would have killed it i mean it, it wasn't like i outworked him and deserved it more it, that was not the case at all so yeah that's that's just how that one transpired and you're gonna have those of course i would rather have been the one behind it oh, yeah but it's uh it, it, and that was that was a little bit of a unique one too because um there that deer got so much attention and i hate the attention especially when it comes to the hunting i'd rather no one knew what deer i was hunting or where i was hunting or anything like that but that that deer was starting to garner so much attention like our interns you know my cameraman would they wouldn't even be able to go to a restaurant without someone coming up and be like hey i saw your guys truck are you still seeing that deer or oh i know where that deer's oh, at or i mean it was just crazy like it, it was just always being talked about and so i was i there was definitely a sense of relief when when he texted me and told me he killed the deer you know and there wasn't any anger or anything it was more just like awesome i can move on now yeah, like yeah, yeah. as long as that deer was alive you can move on you had to go hunt him right but when he was dead it was like a it was a weird sense of relief like okay i can move on go have more fun chasing a different deer opportunities like that come along and once in a lifetime and the way you handled it man it's that 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 is the humble approach that this this world needs and and god it's yeah it's cool, most guys would have been mad if their neighbor would have killed the deer that the, their target buck or something like that you know so it's yeah it's and cool. i understand i mean i know i know every situation is different there could be times where you know the neighbor did something that's not the right way and Correct. so there every situation is a little bit different but in this one i just knew how much he worked to kill that deer i mean he's run tons of cameras put his time in and and earned it just as much as i did so you you really can't be mad about that i mean there's just there's no way to be mad about it. there's no reason for it jared do you run any uh 
uh, mock scrapes or anything up there in Iowa? I do. I'm a big fan of mock scrapes. What time of year um, you start doing that? Now, really, really. And now, yeah, I've I've already got some deer in, in velvet working working mock scrapes. I mean, they obviously work them all year round, but it's you know it starts to ramp up really at, towards the end of August, early September here in Iowa when they start to shed the velvet and they start to get pretty aggressive. But I love mock scrapes. That's usually where ninety five percent of my cameras are during the fall sometimes i have them on a food source but most of the time they're on a mock scrape on a food source so i just one i love i love uh trail cam pictures and and getting the best pictures i can i think you can learn a lot from a deer on a mock scrape i think you can learn about his his personality and how aggressive he is when he when he comes and visits a mock scrape how callable is he based on his aggressive or non-aggressive demeanor i mean i think there's a lot you can learn on mock scrapes and i think they're just a really good spot from an inventory standpoint too so this time of year trying to find bucks back uh, mock scrapes are a really good spot gotcha now if you start a mock scrape now um are you in there freshening it back up or will they continue to use that on into november into the rut most of the time it'll just get keep getting hotter and hotter i usually don't have to do much um occasionally i'll use like a pre-orbital gland lure just a, a little drop or something on the, the licking branch if I want to kind of activate one or, or get it to be a little hotter. But as long as it's in the right location and you, you start to learn that over the years where some of those good mock scrape locations are, you really don't have to touch. You can pretty much let the deer take it um, from when you start it. Now, for those, do you put your trail cameras up high on those certain those spots that you know I don't you don't I don't I've, I've had very few deer really react um and that's another kind of personality thing you start to learn which deer are a little more camera shy than others but I I've never felt like I ruined my chances because I spooked him with a trail camera um the big 10 that I ended up killing <clears throat> last year he was a camera shy buck like a, you would you would see him at, at some times and he would stand there for a few pictures and he'd almost kind of backpedal away from it. Um, and I don't know if that led to fewer pictures of him. If he avoided those areas, I just, I, I think, I don't know. I, I just, he was never a very aggressive deer. He wouldn't, if he came to a scrape, a mock scrape, he it would just be a quick scent check and go. He never worked it. He never did anything. So he was a, a unique personality. And I, I saw that from the, as far as, a calling standpoint goes i was never able to really call at him with much success either so a little stuff like that is always cool with the trail cam game just learning deer and seeing how they react to it but uh, to answer your question no i've never i always have mine pretty much at eye level and maybe it's driven more by a, a, a quality photo standpoint too because i just i want to get a good picture i don't want it looking straight down at him well, if you go to public land, hang them, hang them high, Jim. Yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. that. <laughs> well, this yeah. this is my first time running cell cameras up in the piece of property we hunt in Illinois. And probably two weeks ago, for probably a week and a half straight, I was getting a pretty decent, what I consider a decent buck for myself on camera. And now he's just vanished. And I haven't seen him. Do you often get that on your on when you run cameras? And When you said he showed up when? Probably about a week and a half ago for about a week straight every after or every night, of course. But now he's just, he's vanished. Yeah. This time of year can be 
kind of finicky for sure. You know, I, for us, I don't know what it's like down there, but for us, their their food sources are changing a lot too this time of year. Like you know, you'll see them hitting alfalfa fields hard, and then you'll see them hitting the soybeans hard, and then the corn will start to silk, and they'll be in the cornfields real hard. There's just so much food this time of year. Everything's green. All the natural browse is is really good food form. Um, so I think that's usually the case in my area when I see that and a deer will disappear for sometimes a couple of weeks, a month and come right back. Uh, sometimes don't come back cause their fall range just isn't where you hunt, but they happen to spend a week or two near you and you got some pictures of them. So it's hard to say. And, and deer, we, I think we always try to generalize a little bit too. This is just based on my experience, but I think we try to generalize too much thinking they all act the same and do the same yeah. things and try to reason why would a buck do this when in all reality, they're just, we're like humans. They're all different. You know, some, I've watched so many deer, even food source wise, where a bunch of deer will hit one and then you'll have a group of deer that will walk right by, won't touch it to get to the next food source. I mean, I think they're just different. They have different preferences. They have different uh, habits. Um, it's they're hard to figure out sometimes, for they, sure. They are. They leave your they leave your head scratching or scratching your head because I'll lay there at night and look on hunt stand and be like, All right, "Where should, where do I need to move these cameras to?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that and that that is that's the best strategy I could I could say is don't be afraid to to move them and and even in, this time of year here in Iowa, deer and the some of the weirdest spots, you know, it could be in, in the middle of a field with one single tree or no trees in the waterway of a cornfield, um, middle of nowhere type spots that they won't obviously be in the fall, but you can find them in the summer and get some pictures of them and start learning about them. Um, but I even, I, I've never been one to, that's afraid to move cameras even in season, because if I'm chasing a specific deer, I need to know as much as possible about him um, to develop that strategy. So, you know, I know some guys are, of the mindset of less pressures, better stay out. Don't make those adjustments in season, but man, your, your window can be so small with the, with the whitetail, especially as you start to, if you're trying to kill them pre rut or something, the rut can be a big wild card. And if your time is, you know, a week or less, you better figure out where he's at. And the only way to do that is either long distance scouting or moving trail cameras. So I I move trail cameras all the time in season until I, until I start to figure out where a deer cores up. The man is, is laying down. He's dropping it. He's laying laying it. it. You, you better pump your brakes for a minute, boys. <laughs> so and many protests. notepads out. Because he is, yeah, that's some great information, Jared. We appreciate you sharing that with us. So, well, as we're kind of winding this thing down here, um, Nick's got a couple of questions that he always asks at the end, and I'm going to spin it over to him and let him hit you with them, and uh, and we'll, uh, we'll move on down the road on this thing. I'm gonna I'm gonna ask three. Awesome. I always ask two questions, but I'm gonna still want to Alex's questions because he ain't asked it yet. If you had one day to hunt out of the year, what day is it? One day, man. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go November. I'm gonna go November twenty fourth. Oh, like wow. a little bit different really? than, I, than I think a lot of guys. Yeah. But I, I love that third. As you approach late November, I love that time frame. And you know, I'll, the rut is great. Obviously, the first couple of weeks in November is great here in Iowa. 
but it's also a wild card time if you're chasing an individual deer. Um, they, they're going to be where that latest hot doe is, and that may or may not be on your property. But as you start to get later in November and they start to think a little bit more about food, but you still get that enjoyable rut type hunt. Uh, I love that third week of November for that reason. Now is gun pressure tough around you that time of year? No, gun season doesn't come in until December. Oh, okay. okay. So we're, we still have some good bow hunting. Left. Gotcha. Cause yeah, it, it, it doesn't in Illinois. It's kind of, it's kind of dead around <laughs> right that there time. Thanksgiving. Yeah. Cause that first shotgun season comes in and. They run yeah, that them. late no, no, November time frame. I've had so many good hunts and <clears throat> not just on d- specific deer I'm targeting, but also you get a lot of new deer at that time too. Um, so I think it's the best of, of both worlds. <laughs> it's actually funny you say that because I believe the biggest deer I, I've probably ever seen in Illinois last year was uh, um, November 24th last year in the middle of the day standing out in a, a field. I was headed to eat lunch. There you go. <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe changing those dates up, Nick. <laughs> no, um, no. Man, you've been in the outdoor industry and, and all the filming and anything. If you if you had just one piece of advice to give somebody, what, what would that piece of advice be for a new up-and-coming hunter looking to start self-filming? So my my first piece of advice would be figure out the reason you're wanting to do this because that will that will really dictate how you should approach it so are you doing it just for yourself to have your preserve your own memories document your own hunts that's a whole different mentality and that's that's just uh that's a a lot lower stress level but are you trying to do it at a higher quality level my advice would be to um be disciplined when it comes to being a videographer first a hunter second that's one of the biggest challenges of what we do is we're no longer just hunters. We're videographers and you really have to almost develop as big of a passion uh, with the camera as you are a hunter or as you are, you know, chasing the deer. So my advice would be to just figure out why you're doing it and that'll dictate the approach you should take on, on, uh, you know, what type of discipline you should have as far as filming and, and where you should leave the camera and shoot the deer or, really put the camera first to to get that highest quality video possible the man's got all the answers <laughs> that is that was a well, great answer right there too <laughs> we've never done this but do you want to ask him for any advice <laughs> i mean yeah i mean I, well i could stay here all night i told it i told him the, the other day when i talked to him i said i'm gonna tell you this thing it's, it's just an hour long usually but i could stay on the phone with you for for hours and hours and and i think that's the key thing that you guys are trying to to teach everyone with your videos that you're doing and stuff and you can definitely learn a lot from those so all right nick hit him with the last one and, and i always ask everybody this too what are you most thankful for jared Uh, just most, most thankful for like the opportunities that have been created with this and and the people around me. I mean, there's a lot of people that have influenced, uh, my career, my life to get to this point. So I'm just thankful for those people that have created that opportunity. Awesome, man. Hey, I, I want to thank you for coming on here. You're a great guy. I hope I can shake your hand one day and, uh, see, see you around the block somewhere, man. I enjoyed it. Cody, what you got? I'm just I'm just ready for some more videos. So I know you've got you probably already got some in your sights this year. So I hope you have good luck, and I'm sure we'll be in touch. And can't wait to see some of the videos piling out for sure. Do you got a big one? For sure, you got a big one on that you got. 
You got on your radar. Only I'm starting to get some good ones on camera. My my, to be honest, my properties are not great summer properties. Um, they just they they're just not the summer habitat that a lot of the the bigger deer like to hang out on. I have a lot of those fawns, but which is fine. I'd rather have them in the fall anyways than the summer you know, rather than the other way around. But I'm, I'm finally starting to get some good ones on camera and there's a lot of deer that I haven't found back yet that should be alive. So just the anxious weight of seeing what they look like this year compared to last year is, is where I'm living right now. <laughs> Up all night on your phone scrolling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> refresh, <laughs> <Right>. refresh. <laughs> Well, Jared, as they said, you know, it's been a, been an honor and a privilege to speak with you, and, and I, I believe we'll be running into you sooner or later if, if uh, Mr. Jeff keeps on talking talking in my ear. We're going to go and uh, join him at the Iowa Deer Classic one of these days and, and get to experience that. Don Don's expressed his interest for us to come up and visit with him, Mr. Don Higgins, some of these days, and uh, we uh, – We've been very fortunate and blessed in the opportunities we've we've been able to speak with people. And Jeff, uh, you know, was gracious enough to to get me in touch with you, and and I'm you know very thankful for him and our continued relationship that we're starting to build with him and what he's helping us with in that mindset that he is building the complete plotter, and uh, it's really helped us out a lot with our food plots this year. And uh, man, I can't wait to see what uh, see what Chase in November brings to light for for everyone, especially you. So we definitely thank you for your time. Yeah, thank you guys. I, I do truly appreciate the opportunity to to chat. I ha- be happy to join any other time too. So just let me know. And uh, thankful to Jeff for for introducing us too. Jeff is you know when I talked about the the guys I've met in the industry, they're just really good good guys. You know, Jeff is in that category. So I've enjoyed working with them and. Um, again, happy to do this anytime. I've enjoyed it. Absolutely. Well, I'll definitely be in touch with you and I'll let you know when this thing gets dropped out and, uh, Hey, good luck this year. And we wish you all the best. Yeah. Thank you. You guys too. All Thanks, right, Jared. We'll talk soon, Thanks. Jared. See ya. All right, everybody, man, that, that dude has got it going on and he don't even, he don't even show no emotion. And you look back at the videos of him when he's in the tree but Nick, you hit the nail on the head that he has that emotional response in his own way, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I think that's the key thing for for everyone to watch him. You're not going to see a guy that's jumping up and down in the tree and, nope. and you know and screaming and hollering. Man, he's it's almost like it, like you said, a sigh of relief that it's that it's over. But the fun just begins when it gets to him. He's got that production mindset and. Gosh, Midwest Whitetails has been around for so long, and and what Bill uh, Winky painted for for everyone to be able to watch, I didn't even realize how much was actually out there until I got to diving back into what they're in and who they're involved with, and it's it's very cool to see. And sounds like they're about to explode too with Forty One North Media. I mean, they're yeah taking on a lot. I'm glad you turned me on to that. I'm about to go up there and get Kelsey <laughs> off the couch and I can watch something. <laughs> He's a good dude and it and it's like you said, it's very, very humbling to to speak with someone like that that keeps the the attitude. He spoke about the people that are just like him and I think that's the key thing for folks to remember. You don't have to be all flamboyant and showboat about what you're doing. Just keep it straight kill and 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 move on with it. Work hard. He's worked hard. <laughs> Like, we, like Johnny Utah said, work more hours. We, this is going to be a this going to be a big drop with some good information, and the next one's going to be a guy with a lot of knowledge too. Yep, yep. Bringing I mean, him back. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, Mister uh, Mister uh, 
Kansas duo himself. Yes, sir. Uh, Jason Lewis is coming back to be with us and reminds me a lot of Jason. Exactly, that's exactly what I was thinking. I could see getting Jason over here and just let oh, them they can sit there and talk. <laughs> let them go. Just, just, like this. just <laughs> watch and learn, yeah. watch and learn. And I think that's the key thing, guys that are successful in the most, I guess, laid back way are the coolest ones to watch because mm-hmm. they'll teach you. They don't mind teaching you things. No. I mean, they don't mind you. They want to see from success them. from everyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like he did his neighbor. I mean, he went over there and shook his yep, hand, he and, and he called him out on here that, you know, hey, this guy this guy worked just as hard as I did, if not harder, and it's cool. I love it. You, what got, else you, got? you got any money on you? I got a pocket full. Throw me about 20 bucks. I'm going to give it to Watson so he can go buy that boy something to eat. <laughs> Cade's over here. <laughs> he didn't feed him nothing. Starve to death. Well, I, I want you to – I want everyone listening, if you've got someone in mind um, or got a young and up-and-coming uh, youth – that might be interested in doing something, um, tell them to listen to this episode and tell them to uh, to go follow along on what Jared and those guys are doing, that internship program that they have. If you're looking for a gateway into the outdoor industry and to see if you're actually capable of doing it, you go spend a, uh, you know, a season with those guys and you'll find out real quick if it's something you really want to do. Mm-hmm. You ain't going to be spending a lot of time in the tree hunting yourself. You're going to oh, be you're spending gonna be, a lot of You're going to be spending a lot of time in the tree. tree. Yeah. <laughs> It just ain't gonna be the way you. You're want just gonna it, be probably. pulling a trigger on something else. <laughs> Click. Click. Well, you look at you look at what um, the guys that have worked with the juries for so long, and and now they're able to get out and hunt for themselves, and they're becoming, you know, guys that are the with Wade. What he did, he fought, filmed Mark for I don't know how many years, and now he's he's one of the highlight guys on the show. He put his time in. Look at Nick Munt. Yeah, Nick. I mean, we, you know, we dropped that episode with him, and he talked about putting. If you're listening to this and you're a young person, take from all the way back to Nick and what Jared's saying. Don't wait on somebody to tell you what to do. If there's dishes that need washed, get your butt up over there and wash them. Don't wait for cans to get cleaned up around camp. If all the fellers is out there sitting around having a few beers, go pick them up. You know, and, and do the little things that separate you from everyone else around you, and you'll be the guy at the top of the leaderboard at the yep. graduation time. So thanks to Jared for that. What else you got? You guys got to get loaded up. Season's coming in sooner than later. I guess you'll be having some mock scrapes out, won't you, uh, big boy? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I guarantee you. Well, we'd already talked about yep, that, and we, uh, we got some we got some amazing content coming from that. So if you're interested in doing any mock scrapes when you hear this episode, go over to uh, our YouTube channel, and I promise you'll see some videos of some amazing new products that we're going to start using. So. Cody, glad to have you back, buddy. Thanks for thanks for uh, taking the time out of your um, strenuous schedule to to. Well, you know, I do what bit. I can. You know, if anybody's got any pro tips on running a nail gun or uh, building <laughs> so podcast stupid. tables, reach out to him. <laughs> so well, by the time this one drops, so we may already be there. Well, August twentieth, twenty first, twenty second, the GON Outdoor Blast at the Lake Point Sports Complex in Emerson, Georgia. Please come and see us there. We're going to have some merchandise. You know, you can pick up a hat, T-shirt, whatever it may be, and spend some time with us talking at the booth. We are talk about it with us a while. <laughs> so, for everybody here at Talk About It Outdoors, thanks for coming and being with us again. Come back and sit with us when you get a chance. And as always, remember, smile as you go, and don't forget, mount the memories. <laughs>